dollar strength has seemed like a fact of life over the past several years. Now the narrative is shifting to dollar weakness. Which will it be? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. And by sharing these perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of July 2020, 20, July 20, 2020. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about the U.S. dollar. Last week, when we talked about international markets, we mentioned that shaving a bit of exposure from emerging markets equity in favor of international developed markets could make sense, given the economic outlook. Um, emerging markets have less fiscal and monetary firepower available, and they're more susceptible to global financial trends. And when you say global financial trends, one of the really big ones is the U.S. dollar. Bingo. The U.S. dollar is core to international investing, and so we thought it would be useful to dedicate a full episode to the topic. But it's also fairly complex, so I'd like to address it in terms of three categories. You always love three things, LG. (laughs) Be quiet. All right. It's just going to keep us organized. I I do actually appreciate it, and I've I've come come to adopt it. So what are the three things we're going through? Well, let's think in terms of, first, macroeconomic impacts, second, microeconomic impacts, and then also financial impacts. Which do you want to go first? Might as well always start with the macro, the 30,000-foot view. To me, there's only one big macro question here. Why was the dollar so strong to begin with, and can it stay that way? All right, cool. We'll start with macro factors. And at the highest possible level, what is the dollar? (laughs) Oh boy, here we go. No, no, I won't get philosophical on you. I just mean to point out that most people talk about the dollar strengthening or weakening as a standalone entity, but currency pairs are just that, they're pairs. So when we talk about the strong dollar, what we mean is the dollar's value relative to another currency or a basket of currencies. I got it, I got it. I thought you were about to start going into modern monetary theory on us. Uh, What makes the dollar strong? or weak is its value relative to a single other currency. You have to roll those up to get the dollar. Yes. And I'm harping on that point because the macroeconomic drivers of dollar strength are things like real economic growth. You want to invest in a currency because it brings you return over time. And countries with stronger real economic growth are the ones that have stronger currencies relative to others, all else equal. So things that would deplete real economic growth, whether it's slower growth or higher inflation contribute to a weaker currency. Okay. So then explain to me why the U.S. is having the worst recession of all time and the most monetary stimulus of all time, which means the weakest real economic growth of all time. And yet the dollar is just about as strong today as it was back on January 1. Well, two reasons. For starters, other major currencies like the pound or the euro or the yen, those are countries also experiencing big hits to growth and big increases in monetary stimulus. So on a relative basis, at least for now, the U.S. and its dollar don't look that much different. Uh, the second reason, though, has to do with my one of my other factors on the list, financial drivers. Is it cool if I go there? Yeah, let's do it. 
on a macro basis, then what you're saying is real economic growth drivers depend on that country's currency. So what's the story in financial terms? Here, it's all about demand for the currency itself. So when the world is looking crazy, and it's definitely looked crazy over the past couple of months, investors tend to have higher demand for safe haven assets. Sound familiar? Yeah. I mean, U.S. treasuries are, are the safest there are. Real assets, which are commonly priced in dollars. I hear you. And this is a story we've definitely heard before. The Fed opened up those dollar swap lines, which we've talked about on the program, and gave other countries and banks access to dollars because there was so much demand for safe haven or dollar-based assets, right? Exactly. We've seen a lot of that safe haven demand over the past couple of months. And so that surge in dollar demand in March and April of this year was due in large part to global risk aversion. Right, right. So far then, I'm just spelling this out in my head because there's a lot of moving pieces to keep straightforward. So we've talked now about real economic growth. We've had our financial flows or you know, the demand for safe having assets. And those are pretty big picture factors. What's the story on the microeconomic level then? Here on the micro level, it's all about currency translation and the impact of currencies on companies. <laughs> all right, Miss CFA. Time to start busting out the accounting textbooks, huh? Are we going to learn how to, how currency volatility impacts companies' bottom lines? There is a lot going on here, but the gist is this. Multinational companies are typically based somewhere, right? So let's say you're based in the United States, but you sell in other places as well. Again, let's say South Africa or Brazil. If the dollar strengthens, that means it takes more South African rand or more Brazilian real to make up the dollar's worth of revenue. And that's bad news for your dollar-based sales. Your sales could be exactly the same in terms of the number of things you sold in South Africa or Brazil, but you'd make less money in dollar terms. When earnings season comes around, then that looks pretty bad. Yeah, and we know that the earnings earnings definitely uh, are, are the drivers of financial assets because companies can use it to reinvest in their business or to pay back shareholders through dividends or share buybacks, what have you. Um, but it also could work the other way as well. It doesn't always have to be negative, right? If the dollar weakens, that could be good for U.S. companies uh, with more international sales worth more, right? Yeah, that's right. But in the case of a stronger dollar, which we, we were talking about earlier, couldn't you just increase your prices in South Africa or Brazil to make up that difference as you, as you see the currencies moving higher? Well, Currency volatility can be big and it can move really quickly. So I'll give an example. In 2015, the Fed decided to roll back its first QE program and prompted this huge surge in dollar strength, what we call the taper tantrum. That's that first macroeconomic impact we talked about, right? Tightening monetary policy signals expectations for stronger growth moving forward. So the dollar surged. Anyway, the point is that companies would have to increase their prices a lot and pretty quickly to make up the difference. And in price-sensitive markets, like our South Africa or Brazil examples, you'd see a complete collapse in demand for those products. Not to mention that marketing teams think really careful about pricing and product placement. And so it's not so easy as just to say, if there's currency volatility, let's raise prices to counter that. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It'd be silly to unwind all that work over an exchange rate, which would just fluctuate again the next day. Exactly. So currency volatility is a fact of life for international companies, but one that seriously impacts their bottom line. 
bottom line sounds like a really good place to start our portfolio pause, a section of the program where we share an investment idea. We've already talked so much about the dollar and you are right. It's so complex and super interesting, but here's the thing. Will the dollar strength last and how do investors manage the fluctuating currency risk in their own portfolios? There's been a lot of attention to the weakening dollar over the past couple of months, but here's the thing. The dollar index spiked in a big way during that global risk-off period in March and April because of demand for safe haven assets or investor fear. Yeah, and that was the financial impact you were mentioning earlier. Yes, exactly. So the fact that the dollar is weakening now means that that fear is calming in part, and also that growth in the rest of the world might be looking a little bit better than the outlook for the U.S. I see where you're going here. So if things stay relatively calm on the COVID front or or we choose to continue to ignore it and international markets, economic growth continue to do well, then the dollar will continue to weaken relative to those other currencies. Yep, that's right. But on the other hand, if fear returns, then the trend could reverse really quickly and we'd have dollar strength back. How do you invest that then? I imagine a balanced currency hedge product would be a, a really good way to manage currency volatility especially if you don't have a strong view on currency one way or another. Then you could take a a 50% currency hedge, for example, uh, approach. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Another completely different angle to take is that dollar strength really impacts emerging markets maybe more than other markets. When global risk appetite ebbs and flows, it has huge impacts on local currency and local debt for those countries, which is often priced in dollars. Oh, yikes. So a dollar surge actually makes your debt more expensive in local terms, let's say overnight. Yeah. And so from a regional preference perspective, if you're concerned about global risk appetite, then you'd be cautious about emerging markets as we are for the moment. If you expect global growth to rebound, then the dollar should weaken and emerging markets equity would be an interesting opportunity. So we actually talked a lot about this dynamic in our our mid-year outlook, which has a section exactly on this, on how to position portfolios based on a specific shape of the recovery. So we have a special episode of this podcast coming out on Wednesday to share more about that exact topic. Coming up this week? Wait. There's just one more question with respect to the dollar. It's a big one, and I think we should cover it here. Okay, sure. Let's do it. (laughs) We're running long on time, so the high-level answer is fine. But with the dollar potentially weakening in the U.S., failing at virus control, and thinking potentially less than strategically on international issues, do you think that the U.S.'s just hegemonic dominance and the dollar importance is also going to decline? It's a good question, but one that probably plays out over years or even decades, not weeks or months. The dollar's incorporation into the global economy is massive. Contracts like oil and other global commodities are often priced in dollars. External debt can be and often is denominated in dollars. Takes a while to unwind these things. Now, over time, I'd expect the rising importance of countries like China to contribute to a moderate unwinding of a U.S.-led global system. As an investable theme, though, it's less prominent because it's, again, over years or even decades. I totally agree. For now, though, the U.S. is home to some of the world's most formidable companies, top-ranked universities. We have decent demographic trends compared to other countries and strong capital markets and rule of law. 
Um, I totally agree that there's a handful of issues that certainly leave a lot of room for improvement, but uh, I think we just need to focus on that pandemic first. All right, then, coming one more time, coming up this week, it's hard to pretend that we're watching a whole lot more than earnings. Everyone expects bad results, and for the confidence interval around what bad means to be really wide. Still, I'll be looking at the numbers themselves to benchmark how bad bad can get. And of course, guidance is essential for understanding how management is considering the path ahead. I'm guessing that the market's narrative around back to normal is going to be disappointed by warnings of lower demand for a longer period of time, but that's really what we're looking out for in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so so far the uh, big takeaway was the difference among financial institutions, right? Some big banks posted huge trading revenues and others were who were more consumer focused, didn't have as much investment banking or trading, had to set aside really large loss provisions for Bad, potentially bad loans. And I think that's a signal to us that the worst may be yet to come. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Yes, let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you all by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at nylinvestments.com forward slash blog. But until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. We'll see you on Wednesday for a special episode. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.